Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to the Credo Podcast. I'm John Doherty, founder and CEO of GetCredo.com. At Credo, we help companies find and hire trusted digital marketing firms. This podcast is meant for anyone trying to grow their business online, whether you're a marketing agency owner, director of marketing at a big company, or an executive looking to learn more about marketing and growing your business. As a lifelong learner myself and a professional digital marketer for over a decade now, I love learning from others who have expertise in areas where I personally am trying to learn. So on this podcast, I do two things. Number one, I interview guests who are experts in their field, such as marketing experts and CEOs who have been through good times, tough times, and lived to tell the tale. And number two, I do solo me-only episodes where I share with you lessons I've been learning as an entrepreneur and leader that will help you improve your business and your life. So sit back and relax and enjoy the wisdom that's about to come into your ears. Hey there, real quick, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to make sure I told you quickly about Credo. Credo is my company that I started out of my Brooklyn apartment in 2013, and it's been my full-time focus since 2015. In that time, we've helped thousands of companies on their journey to hiring a trusted, pre-vetted digital marketing firm. So if you need to scale up your marketing team with an agency or trusted consultant, Go to getcredo.com slash get hyphen started to get started. We look forward to speaking with you. Hello again, everyone. Thank you uh, for joining me again here on the Credo Podcast. Uh, I'm John Doherty, founder and CEO here at Credo, um, where we help companies find and hire uh, great digital marketing firms. Uh, today, I have a very, very special guest, actually an old uh, boss's boss of mine um, from Zillow. So today, um, I am joined by Spencer Raskoff, um, who is, uh, Spencer, if you don't know him, um, is I mean, he's one of the smartest people that I know, one of the people I've had the pleasure of working for in the past, co-founder of Hotwire, um, Zillow. He served as Zillow CEO for 10 years. Um, and I just read today, I, I knew a lot of this history, but uh, led them through the 2011 IPO, led them through what, 15 acquisitions, Spencer, something like that. I think it's what Wikipedia yep. told me. Um, so <laughs> a lot of acquisitions. Spencer's got a lot of, uh, lot of experience now based in Los Angeles. Um, and founded a couple of startups there and doing a lot of angel investing. Um, and so uh, I invited Spencer on. I asked Spencer if he would come on. Um, because, because we're dealing with all the, the COVID stuff going on in the world now, Spencer has a lot of experience leading through, uh, through crisis times, both peacetime CEO and wartime CEO, um, as Ben Horowitz, uh, from Andrews and Horowitz calls it. Um, and so, uh, today we're going to be talking about three specific things. Number one, we're going to be talking about layoffs, unfortunately, how to do them well, how to think about doing them well. And Spencer's advice, having gone through it both with Hotwire and Zillow, um, cash flow. Um, so steps uh, that they've taken in the past to determine uh, runway cash flow, shoring that up and making sure the business can continue. And then number three, how do you lead the team? So people obviously is the hardest part um, of, uh, of leading a company, as I have learned uh, the hard way over the last few years. Um, and so again, ask Spencer for his take on that. So Spencer, first of all, um, thank you. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Good speaking with you. Awesome. You as well. You as well. It's been a long time since we caught up. Um, so today, uh, I mean, as I said, the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, is layoffs. It's something no one wants to talk about. You recently had a piece on your uh, one of your new companies, uh, .la, um, based out of uh, Los Angeles, obviously, uh, talking about the tech world. Um, and so I was uh, one of the things you talked about in there is is cutting deep and cutting deep from the start and only doing it once. So. Um, if you're talking to, or when you're talking now, I assume you're talking to a lot of uh, CEOs and, and leaders that they're thinking about layoffs. How do you advise them to think about them, when to do them, and how to do them well? So um, 
you know, it, or my, my typical advice is you want to cut once so you don't have to do multiple layoffs because the drip drip of continual retraction and continual layoffs is what really kills a company's culture. The challenge with coronavirus as compared with other sort of normal layoff situations is the uncertainty and the unknown of it all. So it's very hard to know, you know, how, okay, I get it, Spencer. I want to take your advice. I want to cut once. Um, but I don't know how deep that needs to be because I don't know how long this is going to last. And I don't know what life is going to look like on the other side. So, um, I mean, I, I, I would recommend that you try to follow this advice as much as possible, but it is, I recognize that it's super hard in the face of, of huge uncertainty in this particular crisis, but try to cut, we'll do one round of layoffs, one round of cutting so that you can, you can credibly say it to the survivors, the people that are there afterwards, um, look, you know, we think that was it. We think your job is safe. Um, um, the, um, I did that in, in Zillow in 2008 after the financial crisis. We did that at Hotwire in 2001 after 9-11. And I've been involved in other companies. And, you know, if you can, other companies that have gone through this, if you can just do it once and say you're only doing it once, that's, that counts for a lot. Um, I think other, other pieces of advice that are sort of related to that, related to how I'd handle layoffs, are um, to try to treat the people that you're laying off as generously as you can afford to. And that's, of course, the humane and ethical thing to do, but it's also very important for the remaining employees because the remaining employees look um, very closely at how you treated the people that were laid off. And this, this always surprised me to some extent, and I think it surprises a lot of founders because in, in, the, in the throes of it, you know, you're, you're focused on figuring out whose name is going to be on the list and what are their benefits going to be and what, what, are the, you know, what are the severances going to be, et cetera. But um, uh, it always surprises me how much the survivors look at the departed and, and how that, rubs, that, that affects the employer brand um, in the eyes of the remaining employees. Um, and a key part of treating the departed generously is how to think about the equity that they've earned as an employee. Um, and one suggestion that I have for startups is that they look at amending the exercise period on vested options for those that have been laid off. Uh, typically vested options have between 30 and 90 days to be exercised when you leave a company, um, but that's really unfair to someone that's been laid off. Um, especially if their bank account has been depleted by you know financial calamity um, like a stock market you know or crash or a recession, um, and companies actually can amend the exercise period on vested options very easily at the stroke of a you know a pen figuratively speaking. Um, there's an accounting charge for it, so it's not completely free, but it's a non-cash charge, so it doesn't really affect much of anything. Um, especially if you're a private company. If you're a public company, it's a lot harder to do this. Um, but for, for private venture-backed companies or, or just private startups, it's very, very easy. So I would recommend that um, startups uh, make it a two-year exercise period for those that have been laid off on their vested options. And that's simply to give them a little bit of extra time. So if their funds have been depleted, they just lost their job. They're not like, okay, now I have to buy these, right? In order to exactly. keep anything I've just earned. It's and, not and as also, as like sell it if you're, if you're at a publicly traded company. Exactly. So, so number one, they have more, you know, more time to have enough cash to exercise the options. Number two, uh, they don't have to pay the tax until the time of exercise. So even if you had a lot of cash, um, if you exercise the options, then you have to pay the tax on it. And that's pretty difficult because you don't know what the options are going to be worth 
someday, someday later. And, and that, re- that takes me to number three, which is it gives these employees a lot longer um, to see the company mature. I mean, if I told you that, you know, you, hey, you do you want to exercise your vested options in some startup, they'd be like, I don't know, is this gonna, are they going to be worth anything someday? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I don't know. But maybe two years from now, you will know if they're going to be worth something. So um, it's, uh, it, it's really very kind. Um, and um, I, I actually, this, this is a perfect segue into another piece of advice that I have, which is because that, that amendment to an option plan is so kind to someone that's been laid off, I think it's pretty humane and advisable to basically ask people if they want to be laid off. Um, and, hmm. you know, you say, hey, look, we, we, are, we are going through this um, and it sucks and I'm sorry and we're going to do a, a reduction in force of 30% of the, of the headcount. Um, you know, if you think, if you want to be part of that, then you, this is what your severance will be and this is what will happen with your options. Um, and there are a lot of advantages to employee to opting into a, a, a RIF rather than sticking around and then leaving, you know, six, 12, eight months, or 12, 18 months later. Um, the first is, of course, they get the severance, including the exercise period amendment that we just talked mm-hmm. about. The second is there's much less stigma um, to being, to, to leaving as part of a RIF, especially a coronavirus RIF, where it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course, it, people don't, new, new employers don't think that there's anything wrong with you as an employee if you were part of, an, of a coronavirus RIF. Right. Um, it's kind of a no-fault no fault layoff to an extent. Exactly. And, and, then, and then furthermore, for, for those that think this might last for a while, they might want to get ahead of it. They might be like, hey, I'd rather, you know, get the, get the severance, get unemployment and get back out there on the job market, realizing that it's going to take a couple months to find something rather than, you know, <clears throat> you know wait till two or three months from now and then leave. Um, so it's, it's advantageous to the company and to the survivors and to the executive that, you know, the CEO or others. To, to make sure that people who are still at the company actually want to be there for all the right reasons. And so the are you in or are you out conversation uh, is something that I think is really important. And, you know, we did that at, at Zillow for sure. I mean, I remember having that conversation with people in 2008 saying, you know, do you want to be part of this riff? Some people said, yeah, I opt in. We're like, okay, great. You know, that is much, much better for everyone than them staying at the company and then leaving two or three months later. Like that's the worst possible thing. Absolutely. Because then you potentially could have laid someone else off that you, that would have stayed to fill yes. that role and then they leave and then you just have nobody in that role and it's maybe freezing, yeah. maybe hiring you know, is frozen. They, yeah. There's a lot of, they're taking, they're taking a, a seat on that, you know, on the bus, <laughs> you know, if right. they stay they're occupying a seat and, and they're disengaged. I mean, if they were somebody right. that was going to leave anyway, two or three months later, it means that they probably aren't long for the company anyhow. And so you'd rather just know that now and get them out um, and have them, you know, have them take the seat on the, the, the riff bus um, so that no one else has to take that seat. Totally, totally. And I think what you, what you said there at the beginning is, is really interesting. Really, I think something I want to highlight about um, it, it also, the way you do it also reflects back on how you are as an employer and also in the future, right? Because we're not going to be in this forever. And in the future, you're going to be hiring people again. And also people are, that you've laid off are still going to be talking to people that are there. And so you want to, you know, do it as, as you said, in as humane of a way as possible, um, you know, giving them what you can afford, you know, severance you can afford and, and, you know, potentially helping them find another job, like all those sorts of things. Um, you know, I think that that's super, um, that's super important. I know even just like 
myself, you know, getting laid off, people ask me, how was it at Zillow? I'm like, Zillow's executive team are some of the best people I've ever worked for. Right. Um, and, and I, and that's, you know, that's just a testament to, you know, how it was done. Um, and so I think it's a really like important, um, uh, you know, thing to, to flag up as well, because people, people do talk, especially in an industry like digital marketing, or even just like in the tech world, right? Seattle tech, yeah. LA tech, New York tech, whatever, super, super small. Everybody knows everybody. And so they're going to go and they're going to ask people, you know, in the future. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, totally. That's, it's why, I mean, the fact that I'm on your podcast, I mean, look, right. like I was the CEO of a company that laid you off right. and, you know, <laughs> and I've, and yet I've referred you business. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I've referred you candidates and you've, you've done reference checks for me. Like we we still have a very, you know, good symbiotic professional, you know, and personal relationship Absolutely. Uh, in spite of that. And I think part of that is because I, you know, I handled it as best I could and you, yeah. you know, you were on the receiving end and handled as best you could. I, I remember, um, you know, Hotwire in 2001 after 9-11 when we did those layoffs, um, we went from about 200 people to about 150. And I remember um, about seven or eight years after that, um, uh, my assistant from Hotwire saw me on the street and I hadn't seen, I hadn't kept in touch with her at all. And she was one of the people that got laid off. And I remember I, I saw her like approaching me from across the street. I was like, Oh God, like, this is going to be awkward. Like <laughs> I, I laid her off, you know, seven, eight years ago. How's this going to go? Whatever. And she was like, Oh my God, Spencer, it's so great to see you. I just want you to know that that was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, it put my life and, uh, and career on a totally different trajectory and it sucked at the time a little bit, but the way you handled it was, it was as fair as possible. And, you know, you treated me like an adult, et cetera. And like now I'm, you know, I, I went on to become a school teacher and that's the right thing for me and on and on and on. And then weirdly that same week, I ran into a, a director of product management um, who also had been laid off from Hotwire also seven years seven or eight years earlier and almost the same conversation with her. And, um, so, um, you know, it, it, um, it, if, if, if this sucks, it, it totally, I mean, I don't mean to make light of it by giving like happy, happy stories, but, um, you know, handled properly and, um, and, um, maturely and empathetically, like it, it, it can go okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a common thing that I've heard just talking to other people as well. And people have asked me too. And I'm like, actually, it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me because it made me go start my own company. Um, And I hear that. I've heard that from quite a few people um, that they're like, and I remember right after I got laid off, I was talking to to a a bunch of agency owners. And I think seven of the eight I spoke with had all been laid off. Um, (laughs) It was like, okay, like this is, I mean, A, it's like, it has less of a stigma now than it used to. Um, And especially if you're like entrepreneurial minded at all, it can actually be a really good thing. And it's a good like part of your story um, as well. Um, awesome. So, so the second thing that I wanted to talk about, and it kind of goes hand in hand here because you're not going to make layoffs if you don't really know about your, your cash flow, right? You haven't seen revenue get, take a hit and, and all of that. So I was curious, and obviously we're talking about Hotwire and Zillow. Hotwire was sold to Expedia. Was Hotwire public before it was sold to Expedia? No, no, we were, oh, okay. we were getting ready to go public. We, we sold okay. before we got public. Okay, so you went that way. And then uh, obviously Expedia is public. Uh, Z- Z- you took Zillow public. Um, and so obviously that, that's a different kind of thing than you know a, a small digital marketing agency. But you know there are also some bigger companies that listen here. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess I was curious, what are some of the, when, when you saw these things going on, I mean, 9-11 hit, right? And that was kind of a, a black swan, you know, moment. Um, it was just like, all of a sudden the world was different, kicked, kicked us into a recession. Um, the, you know, 2008 um, was, you know, a, a different thing, obviously, but it, it ran on for a while. What are some of the steps that y'all took um, inside these various companies to say like, okay, what is the reality here? What is our kind of our cash situation? And then how deep 
two do we need to cut, right? Because you don't want to cut to the bone if you don't have to cut to the bone. Obviously, if you have to, you do. Um, but but what did you do? How did you go about making um, you know those well, decisions? I mean, the best possible scenario is to cut deeply enough that um, with the revenue forecast that you're able to produce, you think you have enough cash to get to profitability. So that's the ultimate. I only have to do this once. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've cut so deep that I'm either break even now uh, or I can see the trajectory to, to break even. Now, the, and, and the problem, of course, is the revenue forecast that is required to do that determination. I mean, yeah, I, have, it's all changed. You know, I have, I have companies that I'm involved in that have, you know, they have zero revenue right now. And they're like, yeah. well, I don't know how long will that continue? You know, if it continues for three months, then I'm going to be fine. If it continues for six months, then I'm out of business. And so how much do I cut now? Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think, but that, but that, that haven't been said, that would be the advice, you know, whatever you think the most likely revenue scenario is cut enough that um, you're either break even already, or there's a path to break even without a further cut and without any, you know, super optimistic revenue projections. Um, um, and, um, you know, that is what we did in, in Hotwire and Zillow. And that's what I've been advising other startups to do. And this also applies, I think, I think it's interesting to note that this doesn't just apply to like venture backed startups, you know, that have raised a bunch of money and are, you know, spending to grow to get market share. This also applies to people that, you know, say you were profitable and then this happened and you lost 50% of your, of your revenue and now you're unprofitable. So getting back to that profitability, so cutting to get back to profitability, even if you were before. Because I think yeah. a lot of people here like, you know, get to profitable and they're like, oh, that's just like venture back companies that are that way. Like, no, you could have been running a very profitable company that now is not for uh, uh, factors completely out of your own control. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's a combination of like, where were we? Where are we now? What is still coming in? And then where do we have to be in order to be cash flow positive? Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, it's this, uh, this might seem like a bit of a tangent, but it's clearly related to the cash flow question. Just a, a word on the PPP program. Um, I, I haven't that. chimed in publicly on this because it's such a hot potato. Um, and I don't want to spend all day like in a Twitter war with people. Um, yeah. But since this is a podcast and therefore I won't have to uh, respond to people yelling at me all the time um, on Twitter, uh, I will say that I absolutely think that startups, venture funded or not, should apply for PPP if they think they qualify. Um, I see no moral question um, in this regard. I think I think it's odd that some VCs are recommending against it. Um, I'm confused by that. I think that um, uh, some have questioned their motives uh, in in that regard, saying, you know, well, maybe it's that the VCs want. Um, they want startups to have to come back to them, you know, on bended knee and seek better terms uh, from their VCs on a cram down round. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I suspect in some cases it is, it is what's happening and in other cases it's not. But the short version is, um, I mean, I, I'm involved in several startups that, where the founders have specifically asked me, hey, Spencer, do you think I should apply for PPP? And the answer was absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, if you think you qualify, you should apply. There was a government program created for the purpose of, of saving jobs. And if you meet the criteria that were established for that program, you should take advantage of it. Yeah, I think there's it's no as downside. Simple as that, yeah. in, in my opinion. Yeah.
Yeah, I would, I, I would, I would completely agree. I actually just applied for it this morning. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, the way I thought about it was like, well, it can like, we have seen a, you know, a little bit of a, a decrease in revenue and it can pay, you know, salaries. Yeah. And we can also take, you know, money that we would have been using for that and put it into other things in order to come yes. out of this thing stronger. Like there's literally no downside to it. Yeah. I mean, the downside that people have cited is some reputational downside that, um, you know, I, I just don't see. And I think there, there are two pieces. One is like, there's some, there might be some taint of like, oh, you know, like a scarlet letter, like you took the PPP aid. And the other is some ethical question of like, hey, this was really developed for like the corner bookstore in middle America, not for some digital marketing agency, you know, that I don't know, know if you guys have raised venture funding, but whatever, not for some venture funded company. Um, I, I just think that's ridiculous. Like, first of all, nobody ever questions that whatever we we can go on and on on this topic yeah. but i i uh good for you i hope i hope you you know have to qualify i hope you receive them and i hope that it extends the runway for credo by yeah. you know whatever however many couple more months and allows you to invest uh invest further exactly exactly yeah and and so um and i i do want to get to i do want to be a, a cognizant of your time and b get to the the third part about leading the team because i think it's super important but and and not to derail us too much but is this a good time for people to think about raising funds if they if they weren't before? I mean, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, it, it, it's um, there's a lot of fundraising activity happening. I will tell you that I'm an active angel mm-hmm. investor, and I have, you know, I don't know, five to ten deals that I'm actively considering at any point mm-hmm. in time, and it's it has not that has not slowed down. If anything, that's increased. So there are plenty of people trying to raise money and raising money uh, successfully right now. Um, I think that, um, the valuations have come down quite a bit at the, uh, at the later stage. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a founder, you know, at a, you know, if you're a founder that doesn't need to raise money right now, um, it, and, and you're pretty confident that your business results are, are solid enough that you, that won't change then from a purely from a valuation standpoint, it probably would behoove you to wait mm-hmm. because investor expectations have brought valuations down. Um, I have not seen the valuations come down at the early stage yet, um, which disappoints me as an early stage investor. Um, <laughs> sure. um, but, um, I mean, I think founders are like, oh yeah, it was a 10, a $10 million safe, at a 20%, you know, a 20% discount at a $10 million cap or $18 million cap or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had no revenue before and we still have no revenue now. And I'm like, yeah, but the world has changed. Like everything is down 25%. They're like, well, you know, our, you know, we haven't even launched yet. So like, we're not. Yeah. Cause we didn't have anything. Yeah. yeah. And so the, 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 and the fact is that there's just enough capital still available that they can dictate those terms for the most part. So I think if you're early stage, the valuations haven't come down, but I guess, so the answer to your question is, um, is it a good time to raise money? Like, on balance, probably not because mm-hmm. I, I think investors expect to see a discount. Um, but it's a really good time to have money in the bank, whether you're an investor or whether you're a startup. Um, and so if you're, you know, so that might argue for raising money if you can. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the, the classic, it depends. Um, yeah, I, I like it. Um, cool. So the, the final um, thing I, I had to ask you about is so, in the past, after you did layoffs at Hotwire, at Zillow, you know, and, and there were, you know, uh, you, you did the, you know, are you in, are you out sort of conversations, all of that. Um, after you do that, then the, the ones that are left, right, the people that are left, 
How do you then rally them around, you know, the future and rally the team support, you know, get that, um, you know, we're, we're all in this together, uh, you know, sort of, sort of mentality, like shore that up, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the most important part of the layoffs is something that has nothing to do with the layoffs themselves. <laughs> it's Absolutely. the, the, yeah. the day after and, yeah. um, rallying the survivors is super important. It's, you know, you, you tell them, you, you want them to reconnect to the mission. You want them to remember why they joined the company in the first place. You want to paint the big picture um, and the big dream for them in very clear terms. You, you as a founder or CEO want to be very uh, transparent with them and empathetic and, um, you know, show the right level of emotion and, and sadness and disappointment. Um, for what's happened over the last couple of weeks to, to their former colleagues, but also paint the right level of excitement and optimism for what lies ahead. And that's a very hard, um, that's a hard, hard note to strike. But I think if done properly, it can be very motivating. And I know that, you know, again, the period of 2008 after Zillow did its layoffs, the period of 2001 after Hotwire did, were a period of enormous innovation and, mm. um, uh, vitality and um, um, energy. Now, we were there together physically. And so right. this is a whole new, a whole new bag, you know, <laughs> yeah. here in, in, a, in an era of social distancing. But I mean, we got so much done at Hotware and Zillow in that six months post layoffs. Um, all mm. of a sudden, meetings were more efficient. Uh, on, you know, everyone was aligned on priorities. Um, uh, there were, you know, there were fewer people in every email thread because there just were fewer people. Um, there were <laughs> yep. fewer decision makers, um, and we were much more efficient, and we worked smarter and harder, and had more fun, frankly. Um, and I think almost, I, I would say, to the person, everybody would who was there would say a year later that in retrospect the layoffs were a good thing. Mm-hmm. That in retrospect they helped. Um, make the company more fit to help make the company more effective and efficient and were a blessing in disguise, although it did not feel that way at the time. Yeah. 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 I think you said, um, even in your, in your .LA piece that, you know, most companies can, could stand even in the best of times to make a 10% reduction in their workforce and they'd be totally fine. Right. It makes you, there's fewer people in meetings, you know, fewer, fewer desks, like all that sort of stuff. Other expenses go down, especially if you're in an office together and have all these perks and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I remember hearing those stories. Um, yeah. Internally at Zillow, I remember especially Stan, right. Talking about, um, yeah, I mean, just cause I mean, Zillow kind of blew up in a good way with this estimate. Cause all of a sudden everyone's like, how's my house value? How's my neighbor's house value? That kind of right. thing. Right. So like an exciting time in a weird way, you know, um, there as well as always those pluses and minuses. And it's always hard to hit that note of like, even in the best of times, like you don't want to oversell the optimism. You also don't want to under, you also don't want to undersell it. And so that's the hardest part. Um, yeah. I find as being, as being a leader, um, in both good and bad times. Um, well, Spencer, um, I want to be very cognizant of your time. Thank you so much, uh, for taking the time, uh, to talk with us here. Um, I mean, as I said at the start, I very much respect you and your work and your perspective, um, on all this. So thank you for, for coming on and sharing it, uh, with the audience. I greatly appreciate it and wish you well. Thank you. Good luck to everybody. Hang in there. Hey there, John Doherty here once again. Just wanted to thank you for making it all the way through this episode. If you've gotten value from the Credo Podcast, we'd love it if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps us get the message out there. And also, if you really, really liked it, take a screenshot of your phone, 
share it on your Instagram stories, tag me at DohertyJFNIT. I'll reshare it for you. Thank you so much for learning, for listening, and for sharing it with others.